0: Bright Minds, the podcast from the John Adams Institute, is brought to you by the members of the John Adams. Why not become a member yourself, or even better, a patron, and enjoy all the extras and benefits. Find out more at john-adams.nl, john-adams.nl, and click on Become a Member. From Amsterdam, this is Bright Minds, the podcast from the John Adams Institute, a treasure trove of the best and the brightest of American thinking. And this is an author who wants you to see the truth of this story and his character, but not the whole truth.
1: You know, there's this notion in literature of the the unreliable narrator. A narrator that's perfectly reliable is just sheer fantasy. I mean, here's a man who's telling you, And this is what happened to me between 2006 and 2007. Why should he tell you everything? We're fragile storytellers, and it would be too devastating for most of us to be completely honest with ourselves.
0: That's a typically enigmatic turn of phrase from the Nigerian-American writer, photographer, and art historian Teju Cole. His novel, Open City, won the 2012 Penn Hemingway Award and the New York City Book Award. And New York is indeed his main character, Julius's open city. The book's premise is deceptively simple. Julius is a Nigerian psychiatry student who lives in Manhattan. He walks through the town and he has encounters. Most are small. He watches children playing in a park. He discovers the woman next door who he barely knows has died and he is quietly devastated. This story is a study of how tiny moments of observation can have immense impact. Russell Shorto interviewed Teju Cole back in 2012. Shorto was the director of the John Adams at the time. And keeping in the spirit of stories about New York, Russell is also the author of Island at the Center of the World, a history of what New York was like when it was still New Amsterdam. So it should be no surprise that Russell asked Teju to read a passage from Open City that harkens back To its Dutch past and beyond. So here's Peter Cole.
1: Thank thank you. I just need to get something. I'm going to take my uh, my camera up here with me, in case I see anything interesting. If anybody makes um, a memorable facial expression, I'd like to be able to capture it. Thank you all very much for being here. This is really amazing for me. Uh, I've come up a plane this afternoon. Uh, from New York City. And this is the first time I'm presenting my work in Europe anywhere. This is the first time, uh, though many translations are in progress, this is the first one that's come out. And this is a spectacular location to be in. What I really want to do is stop talking and just take photos <laughs> until until the sun goes down. But I, I don't think I'll, I'll be allowed to do that. Um, Open Cities is a novel that's narrated by Julius, a young Nigerian-German psychiatrist. His mother's German, and he's estranged from her. His father was Nigerian. He died. Uh, Julius grew up in Nigeria and then went to the U.S. And uh, at the time when the book has been, uh, the time that the book covers, Julius is um, finishing a psychiatry residency at Columbia. And the book goes from 2006 to 2007. So this is a book that's very much in the shadow of 9-11. It's basically a, a, a work of mourning about the inchoate and imprecise and difficult feelings of living in the city at that point in time. But it is also a book about how those emotions are experienced by one very particular individual who happens to be well, I hope, an interesting and difficult sort of narrator. In any case, most of the book is set in New York. There's a little section in the middle where he goes to Brussels, and then he comes back to New York. And we'll talk about this a little bit later, but Brussels is a kind of double for New York in the book. Most of the book is Julius being by himself or talking one-on-one with an interlocutor of some sort. You know, what's amazing about history in our lives as we often ignore it, but as it is always there, is that when we look around our built environment, if you look around over the city, a lot of what you're looking at was built by people who are no longer here. And they built it for their own use and for their own purposes. Um, And now we live in it as if it's ours and as if they don't matter. And and it's hard for us to have a layered and... um, um, a complicated sense of the lives that they led. Like I said, you know, if you you, you see shops, shop fronts on the first floor in, in New York and you look up and suddenly you're in the 19th century, you know, uh, and it's a completely different age. They didn't have penicillin, you know, the rights that we take for granted, the world we take for granted. Um, They lived in a completely different world, Um, but we live in their built environment. And even in the places where that built environment is gone, we live, kind of in the psychic environment that they created. And so, I think maybe there are certain people who just feel haunted by history and cannot look over this and think, you know, what I'm I'm seeing the 17th century, you know, and I'm seeing the 18th century. It's kind of a it's kind of a miraculous thing that this is here around us. Um, but it's also deeply interesting how similar they are to us if we look closely into um, into the lives that they led and the records that are left, and we read the newspapers of the time and works of history. So um, I don't know why it's become such a kind of obsession of mine, but um, I, I, I I seem to live <laughs> mostly over there. So this is uh, just a little uh, section where Julius is wandering late at night and earlier on he sort of gets lost downtown and out of the corner of his eye he just sees like a gap between two buildings like over there like what could that be and he does not want to think about it but then later he comes around and he you know he sees that it's the uh, it's the World Trade Center site which he is because it's 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 late at night and he's wandering around he's accidentally stumbled on it this was not the first erasure on the site. Before the towers had gone up, there had been a bustling network of little streets traversing this part of town Robinson Street, Lawrence Street, College Place. All of them had been obliterated in the 60s to make way for the World Trade Center buildings, and all were forgotten now. Gone, too, was the old Washington Market, the active piers. The fishwives, the Christian Syrian enclave that was established here in the late 1800s. The Syrians, the Lebanese, and other people from the Levant had been pushed across the river to Brooklyn, where they'd set down roots on Atlantic Avenue and in Brooklyn Heights. And before that, what Lenape paths lay buried beneath the rubble? The site was a palimpsest, as was all the city. Written, erased, rewritten. There had been communities here before Columbus ever set sail, before Verrazzano anchored his ships in the narrows, or the black Portuguese slave trader Esteban Gomez sailed up the Hudson. Human beings had lived here, built homes, quarreled with their neighbors long before the Dutch ever saw a business opportunity in the rich furs and timber of the island and its calm bay. Generations rushed through the eye of the needle, and I, one of the still legible crowd, entered the subway. I wanted to find the line that connected me to my own part in these stories.
2: Um,
1: Sorry, I forgot I mentioned the Dutch in that.
2: Well, well, I I set you up for that. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so uh, the New York focus is clear, and the reason for that is clear. You mentioned uh, earlier uh, that you had reasons for choosing Brussels as the sort of uh, second city that you were focusing on. You want to talk about
1: that? Yeah. Um, So in the middle of the book, Julius takes vacation from his psychiatric practice, and he goes to Brussels for a month. And while he's in Brussels, he um, has encounters with people there, mostly conversations. Um he says he was thinking of well either going diving in Cozumel in Mexico or um going to Brussels in December where for sure it would be raining and depressive and because he's a character in a book I'm writing <laughs> helplessly he chose Brussels um his his ostensible reason for going to Brussels was to um, find his grandmother, his German grandmother who had moved from Germany and come to live in the city. When he gets here, he makes some not particularly strong efforts to find her. He takes a room somewhere and he basically just sort of stays in mostly, wanders around the city, talks to strangers sometimes, um, somewhat depressed. Um, why did I choose Brussels? Because I wanted a double for New York in the book. I did not want it. I wanted some kind of international focus for the book, but I didn't want um, an obvious double. Um, I lived for quite a while in London and, and I visited, I guess, several of the European capitals, but Brussels just kind of made sense to me as uh, the crossroads of much of what is darkest in european history um every time uh shout out to the belgians in the crowd (laughs) um you know every time france and germany and holland and england have a little argument they say i'll meet you over in belgium (laughs) and they have a little war over there and a few thousand people die and this has been going on for hundreds of years um so, there was the the idea of that part of the of the world being sort of haunted, and at the same time, you know it is kind of the de facto capital of the new European empire now, you know uh even if we look at it neutrally as a bureaucrat city, it is a place where that power is concentrated, and at the same time, like very many European cities, it's a place that's struggling to make sense of immigration and what does it mean? to be just to the other and added to all that, you know, King Leopold's ghost and uh, the horrible legacy of the colonial presence in the Congo. So there was this range of issues that just seemed to overlap with um, the things I wanted to write about loss, about memory, about mourning, and about the unfinished past Um, that were completely different issues from New York. um, But that, Resonating with it in uh, interesting ways. And the main encounter that uh, Julius has in Brussels is with a young man called Farouk, um, who's actually quite similar to him in many ways, but also different. And the, the way I structured it in my mind was that Julius is, is New York and Farouk is Brussels, and, uh, and they're not. And then they have an argument, not an argument, they have a discussion um and 70% 80% of the time they're actually in agreement with each other but the points of disagreement interests me um and that i found more interesting than having like you know a guy f- representing the left and a guy representing the right because that's boring you can watch that on television um here are two young men who would consider them, they're both from africa and would both consider themselves quite liberal um, neither is particularly religious, but they're both sort of agnostic. Um, they're both well-versed in literature and in theory. Um, and yet they have, uh, important disagreements, um, and they have different, um, the wounds of history have affected them differently. So I thought that would an interesting thing to explore. Um,
2: so, uh, you have talked about and reviewers have talked about um, uh, how uh, your, your book seems more like a book of, say, a century ago, the, the, the sort of modernist writers, James Joyce, Virginia Woolf, um, D.H. Lawrence, maybe. Uh, in uh, Is that fair to say? And is that something you, you hearken to the, that generation of writers? for? And, and if so, for what purpose what 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 isn't there in the air now that there was then
1: i mean i'll w- I'll readily admit that my book is old fashioned in that sense um but the argument I would like to make is that most books are even more old fashioned because they are they are written on mid nineteenth century models um i think I feel as if most model uh, most novels these days are written in an, sort of uh, in the style of Dickens or in the style of Jane Austen um a coherent uh sort of third person uh, narrative with uh lively characters and everything ties up neatly at the end and uh, we're off to the chapel to go get married um and i just find that terribly boring so i decided to make a great leap forward into 1920 Um so, I guess what I mean is that I don't think uh what I'm doing here is particularly innovative um I just particularly for american readers um who I feel have a somewhat safe mode of reading uh of expectations of what a novel should do um I feel as if most novels being published these days are written as if European high modernism never happened um And with high modernism, you get an exploration of consciousness. You know, somebody, I don't know who it was, who said a novel is like taking a mirror for a walk down a busy road. And so there's this sense of the ongoingness of life and of the drift and activity of life. And to find the prose and to find the writing that can make that live and make that coherent. Um, and Joyce did it extremely successfully, and Virginia Woolf did it very successfully. Uh, Musil did it, and Mann did it, and Brock did it. Um, and uh, we seem to have sort of abandoned it. It's like, um, and I think we we live in maybe in a similar similarly transitional time. I'm just, and I do like the old fashioned storytelling, um, but I prefer it if it's done as an HBO series. Uh, you know, it works wonderfully on television, like the wire, you know, that's great. Um, but in a book, you know, it's like, I've seen it before and I just, I want a book to do what no other medium can do. And television can't take us really deep inside someone's thoughts. Um, but a book can really do that. You know, you can open up a book at 3am and suddenly you, you're in a different country in a different era, um so, uh, I feel very flattered by the comparison, and I admit it
2: well, um, uh, not only that, but you um overtly make uh references, and uh the one I'm gonna ask you to read one more paragraph if you don't mind, and it's the last paragraph of the section in Brussels in which um I, I don't well, I'll just say that it i i think i don't know consciously sentence by sentence it riffs on the last paragraph of, of James Joyce's story, The Dead. And it's beautiful, it's, it's, so it's referencing something else and yet it's unique to itself and wraps up this whole Brussels section. So maybe, would you mind reading that?
1: Night had fallen. I entered the apartment and threw off my clothes and lay in bed in the darkened room naked. Heavy drops tapped on the window. The weather report was right. In ever-widening circles from where I stood, rain was lashing the land. It fell heavily all over the Portuguese district, on the shrine to Pessoa and on Casa Botelho. It fell on Khalil's phone shop, where Farouk had perhaps just begun his shift. It fell on the bronze head of Leopold II at his monument, on Claudel at his, on the flagstones of the Palais Royal. The rain kept coming down on the battlefield of Waterloo, on the outskirts of the city, the Lion's Mound, the Ardennes, the implacable valleys full of young men's bones grown old, on the preserved cities farther out west, on Ypres and the huddled white crosses dotting Flanders fields, the turbulent channel, the impossibly cold sea to the north, on Denmark, France, and Germany.
2: So uh, that's, it's a very uh, pointed uh, parallel with that uh, piece of writing from that period. Can you say anything about what, I mean, You're when you're doing something that pointed, you're making a statement beyond, I mean, you're, you're using those references for one thing, as you talked about a minute ago, using that sort of construction, method of constructing a novel. But here you're sort of, Saying this in
1: particular. So
2: why why are you saying that?
1: Yeah. So uh as Russell notes, I'm not I'm not too shy of, of my influences. I my I guess my main idea is to have as many of them as possible, not to just be stuck with one. Um so I had like to have lots of influences. But that particular passage, which basically transposes the marvelous uh passage that ends uh the short story The Dead by James Joyce and which will be recognizable to many readers. I wrote this book, well, not as a writer, but as a reader. And I wanted it to reflect the experience of reading because I assumed that my readers are also readers. This is not the first book they're reading. And so there's a family resemblance between the author and his readers in that here's something we've all read before, and here's a reminder of it. Because one of my favorite experiences in reading any book is to see a moment of formal daring to say, while in the middle of a book, which I thought I knew exactly all what she was doing, all what he was doing, to suddenly come across something and say, I can't believe she had the fucking nerve to do that. You know, it's like just suddenly some other thing that interrupts the texture in a way. And so I have that sort of in different ways in this book. There's something that almost seems as if he's channeling Joyce. There's other places where momentarily we fall out of strict realism and it's like he's he's hallucinating and just different things like that. I just wanted to be free to write this book because I had nothing to lose, you know? I mean, who knew whether it would be my only chance to make a little bit of trouble? So, uh, you know, like they'll never let me write another one after this. I'm going to, you know, Put it all in. be as badly behaved as possible. <laughs>
2: Um, the, I don't want to give anything away, but there's a final revelation or nearly final revelation in the book. can't believe you (laughs) just gave that away. (laughs) And, um, and, uh, that to my mind changes, uh, the way you've been thinking about the narrator, uh, and the whole reliability of it, which is also a device from that, from back then. I thought of the novel, The Good Soldier, the Ford Maddox Ford novel. Um, is that part of your... Is that what you, you see in it?
1: Yeah, except in this case, that's actually not from modernism at all, but just from my experience of uh, reality, which is that, you know, there's this notion in literature of the, of the unreliable narrator. And I guess my sense is that a narrator that's perfectly reliable is just sheer fantasy. I mean, nobody is perfectly reliable. So I wanted to bridge that gap. Between the unreliable narrator and the way we actually do tell stories to ourselves, the way we tell stories about ourselves. Here's a man who's telling you, and this is what happened to me between 2006 and 2007. Why should he tell you everything? We're fragile storytellers, and it would be too devastating for most of us to be completely honest with ourselves. Um, particularly if you're a psychiatrist man. you don't want to go yeah, there Yeah, yeah. Well, that you is, know. that's
2: a layer yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, so this thing happens and he he's the narrator so he's telling us about this thing that, yeah. uh, giving us this information and he's been talking to us the whole time and he says nothing about that which I find I mean since I have you right here I want to ask you what's the deal with that why doesn't he comment on this thing and, and
1: don't give it away with the thing um, I wish I knew whose idea this was, but <laughs> somebody. No, no. This, this next, which is that they they asked somebody. So you know that, that novel. What did you really mean by it? <laughs> and he he said. And so know. when I began to, you know and just started to read from page one. <laughs> In other words, um, the meaning of the novel is contained within within it. I mean, I don't want to be I don't want to be excessively coy, but I mean, I think the the silences and the gaps are uh, are not an accidental part of the of the texture or or, or the structure, and even you know, and, and even parts that leave you a little bit, you know, frustrated. Parts are a little bit open headed. They're not, um, to a certain extent, those things might actually just be. The, the the pretext by which we're we're drawn along to participate inside his in, in his head because that's that's really what that's really what the central point of it is you know if you watch a film by M- michael haneke he's not going to tie all the loose ends up for you uh and you're going to you know leave the theater somewhat exhilarated and you also want to sort of go out and Kick a dog or something, you know, <laughs> because you just don't know what to do with yourself. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I just a little bit of that, that's what yeah. So, um, and I and I, I I I don't know, you know, how how successful it is, but that's certainly part of the intention to to leave something in abeyance, to leave something in suspension, something unresolved. And there are probably better ways of doing it and worse ways of doing it, but that was. Uh, the effort being made here to not tie it up thank you again
2: this has been wonderful thank you
1: thank you thank you thank you very much thank you (laughs) thank you. you
0: Teju Cole reading from and talking about his novel Open City The Evening was presented by Russell Shorto Teju Cole has a new book coming out in 2023 it's called Tremor and it's described as one man's creative personal and professional life in the lead up to the pandemic. You know that you can go to our website, john-adams.nl videos, where you will find a link to this event and lots of other events. We also have a newsletter you can sign up for, and a veritable treasure trove of great American thinkers, speakers, and writers at john-adams.nl and while you're there why not become a member of the John Adams not only do you support what we do you get a discount to future live events in the meantime go to wherever you go to get your podcasts and review this show it'll help get the word out and we can keep on sharing the very best of American thinkers with you free of charge that's it for this week's show our theme song is called La Prensa by the Parlandos our editor is Tracy Metz From Amsterdam, this was Bright Minds, the podcast from the John Adams Institute. I'm Jonathan Gruber. Thank you for listening.